All right. Well, we are in our final week. This is our final week of the Loved to Love sermon series through 1 John. It's crazy how fast the summer's gone by, by the way. So um, I know going back to school last week, this week, sorry, Lucero, I know you don't want to you don't want to come to terms with it, but it is crazy. It's awesome. It's been a great summer. This series has been really good. Um, this illustration that we've been using throughout this, this sermon series that you see up on the screen, very simply, I'm going to do it one more time for you. Uh, last week, we got to watch this done with human beings as the sponge uh, that went into the baptism tub. But the whole book of, amen, amen. Uh, you know, that was pretty cool last week to, to see this played out before us um, in a whole nother type of metaphor. So the book of 1 John talks about how we're loved by God. So we're like this sponge. And if you look at the world, the world is dry and without hope. As, you know, look, look, look at the people you know, your neighbors, your friends, maybe the people you hang with, maybe the people you work with. And you've got to say, where are people's, where's people's hope that don't know Jesus? Right? And, and they're looking to fill up their hope with things. They're numbing out. We're, let, let's go get high. Let's go get drunk. Let's go satisfy this appetite. Let's go watch more of this and be entertained. And, and all, because we, we have to numb out our problems because we don't have anyone to go to if we're not in Jesus. So the book of 1 John talks about God's love being like water, being like life pouring out into us. So instead of me pouring this out, I just stick the sponge right in. And this is us learning that God loves us. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. God loves you so much, he loves you so much. But the design was not to live inside the picture. The design throughout the book of 1 John, he tells us over and over and over again, is now to go love the way Jesus loved. So what you've experienced in Jesus, you don't keep that to yourself. You soak in it, you're reminded of it, you learn how much you're loved, you experience it, and when you go out into the world, you drip Jesus Wherever you go, you love the world, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is a beautiful metaphor. Now for me, I grew up in the church. I grew up, I would say, on the fringes of what I would call the hellfire and brimstone uh, message. I don't even know what brimstone is, but it always goes along with that. Hellfire and brimstone. I grew up on the fringes of that movement, this, this idea that... Um, the, the turn or burn, come to Jesus or you're going to hell. And it was a lot of, a lot of condemnation. It was a lot of yelling. Uh, it was a lot of you're going to be punished for your sins, so, so repent. I remember being in kindergarten, okay? So I went to a Christian preschool, and then we moved states. So we're in a new state, and we, my parents signed us up for like the local Christian school, and it was kind of backwoods. And I remember being in kindergarten. It was like kindergarten through whatever grade, elementary or middle school, I don't know. We were in the front row. They must have put the kindergartners in the front row. And uh, the speaker in chapel... I don't, we don't have pews here, so I can't demonstrate this. Let me grab this chair here. So the speaker, he stood up on the first pew, like pews would be facing this way. And I remember he stood up like this while he preached, and he yelled at us about, you know, how we're going to hell if we don't accept Jesus. And what I remember from those sermons was, um, you didn't, I, no, we didn't sit in the front row. I remember you didn't want to sit in the front row because you'd get sprayed with his spit. So that was, the trick of chapel was not to get sprayed with spit, because if you sat too close, he was really spitting. He was really moving in this, in this message. Um, 
we didn't end up growing up in churches like that. I, that was only the one year we did in that school. <laughs> um, but I do remember most of my, my messages of the gospel I heard, the good news of Jesus, even in my youth group. It was a lot of incentive to save yourself from hell. And, and let's be honest, hell is real. We don't want to go there, right? <laughs> right? Amen to that, right? We don't want to go there and hell is real. But, but the message, and I would bring my friends to youth group, so teen group, you know, and there'd be a gospel message. And the message typically was something like, um, and the same I would say with Vacation Bible School, if you guys don't know what that is, uh, little kids, you know, are at church for a week. It's like a day camp, and, and it's little kids like ours here that you just saw up on stage. And the same kind of message, if you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. Oh, like who wouldn't raise their hand for that, right? Like if you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand. And so, you know, kids would raise their hand, teenagers would raise their hands. So accept Jesus into your heart, believe in Jesus, accept the gospel. And what I started to observe, certainly not all, in fact, I came to Christ through a message like that. I'm not saying God can't use that message. What I started to observe in friends of mine and through these kids is that people were getting, if you want to call it saved, you can, uh, maybe they were getting saved, but for the wrong reasons. They were getting saved for themselves. They wanted to save their little butt from hell. They didn't really care about Jesus. They didn't really care about following Jesus. They didn't care about worshiping Jesus. The message was, save yourself, here's your ticket out, and so take the ticket. I had friends get raised their hand, even get baptized, and I wondered, why isn't their life changing? Why, why do they live just like they lived before? Uh, we'd have kids raise their hands, and then at church they'd say, we had 50 kids get saved this week, and everybody would clap. But it was like first graders that didn't want to go to hell. And then you just wonder, are they following Jesus today as adults? If not, I don't know. You know what I mean? So you get, you get where I'm coming at with this. Let me be clear. I'm not discounting this piece of the gospel. It's a piece of the truth. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot of fruit from a lot of those types of conversions, a lot of life surrender to Jesus. And John's going to talk about this in our passage today. He's going to talk about the idea of punishment as an incentive, or is God's love the incentive? So that's what we're going to look at and how those two things interact back and forth. Here's a verse I want us to chew on before we do a couple discussion questions in your section. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love just chew on that for a minute we're going to revisit this as we get through our text in first john this morning but think about this idea of perfect love and how john is saying that perfect love and fear don't go hand in hand there's no fear in love what does it look like to have confidence on the day of judgment i want that don't you I want to have confidence on the day of judgment, right? Okay, so here's a couple questions we're going to come back to. Uh, we're going to come back to that passage. Talk about a time when you were really, really afraid. So you can go deep with it, or you can, if you have a funny story. You know, my funny story where I literally thought I was going to die, I was camping in the Manistee National Forest by myself, so I'm in the middle of the woods, the darkest of darkest of dark night. Nobody's around. And there was a bear right outside my tent eating my trail mix that I accidentally left in one of my boxes that was right outside my tent. It was 2 or 3 in the morning. 
I have wear contact lenses that I'm like blind without. So I couldn't see, I couldn't find my glasses, couldn't find my bear spray, couldn't find my flashlight. I'm not an outdoor person, okay? And so I'm literally praying, God, please don't let this bear kill me. Uh, I, re- I li- li- really felt my finiteness as a, as a frail human being, that if it went down to me and the bear, I think the bear could take me. And that was a very humbling, fearful moment. Uh, I waited out the night, the bear went away, and I slept in my car the rest of my camping trip that I was there. So that's my story. Uh, let me turn it over to you guys. You've got five minutes. Um, talk about a time you were really, really afraid. And then just what do you think perfect love means? It's not a theological question. You don't have to be a Christian to answer this. I don't want you to analyze the verse and dissect it. Just when you hear that phrase, perfect love, what do you think the phrase perfect love means? If you don't want to share, if you're new, if you're an introvert, no pressure to share whatsoever. You've got plenty of talkative people uh, in your section. So um, grab a name tag if you didn't get one already and get to know the people you're sitting with, and I'll be back up in five minutes. All right, we're going to be in 1 John 4. Starting in verse 13, you're welcome to follow along on the screen. Uh, you're welcome to open up your Bible, open up your phone, and follow along. Uh, it, and this is the continuation off of last week's message. We ended at verse 12, and we're picking up here at verse 13. It says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God... God lives in them, and they in God. So first I want to say there is some rich language here about the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. And for some of you, you might roll your eyes if we're talking about a theology of the Trinity. Some of you might go, I don't even know what the Trinity is. I've never heard that phrase before. The Trinity is something that all Christians believe. Whether you know it or not, if you're a Christian, you believe in the Trinity. I had a theology professor say, The doctrine of the Trinity is important because if you don't believe it, you're not a Christian. You're something else. And what he means is that other religions would believe, even Mormonism would believe that um, Jesus and the the Father uh, are not one. Jehovah's Witnesses absolutely believe that Jesus and the Father are not one. If you ever talk to a Jehovah's Witness, if they're at your door um, and you you ask him if Jesus is God, that's blasphemy to them. And, and they've actually changed the Bible. They've changed the words in the Bible um, themselves to make it fit what they believe about these things. The reason it mattered in the first century is because when the Bible was being written and recorded, is because you had people in the church that were saying, hey, Jesus wasn't really God. He was just a human. You had other people saying, Jesus uh, was so much God that he wasn't human. And he's in fact both. He's 100% God and 100% human. But we get our doctrine of the Trinity from verses like this. So we go through this passage, and it starts by talking about the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Can we give a shout-out to the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. Amen, right? And, and we often, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in church. We should talk about the Holy Spirit more. But at the same time, the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus, And and the role of the Holy Spirit is to work in our lives to bring us closer to Jesus. And so when you think of the Trinity, this verse is hitting on all three pieces of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We worship one God that exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So when people were baptized last week, they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And praise God for the Holy Spirit because Jesus is not here in physical form anymore. He's not here as a human being. 
And he actually said it's better that he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can be here with us. The Holy Spirit is working in you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're close to following Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you, convicting you of your sin, saying you need Jesus. You need to repent of your sin. That's not you. That's God speaking in you supernaturally. The Son here, the Son of God, is the phrase that the New Testament uses often to describe Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus is God the Father's biological child that he gave birth to with a mother. Jesus has always existed. Jesus was here at the beginning of time. John chapter 1 actually tells us Jesus was creating the world. It's incredible. When we say Son of God, we're talking about God in the flesh. We cannot see God the Father face to face. He's holy. We would melt. We would die. We're sinners. He's not. We can't be in his presence without a mediator. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Remember the mediator? Jesus comes. He stands in the middle, and he says, I am God, the God, the only God, in a way that you can relate to me, in a way that you can handle my holiness, because I'm coming as 100% human. Praise God for Jesus who came to save us. And so we can interact with God. He's like the buffer of God's holiness. And he's a relatable friend. He actually calls us his, he is our brother. He says, I am your brother if you are in the family of God. I am your friend. He calls us friend. These are absolutely incredible truths about God. This is what makes us Christian. Uh, Muslims don't believe this. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe this. Mormons don't believe this. So when we say we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, as Scripture lays it out, that is what we're talking about. It's just a beautiful chance for us to pause and, and thank God here for the Trinity and how it allows us to relate to God in this special way. Now, before I jump into verse 16, I want to ask you this question. The next passage is going to talk about what we rely on, and I want you to pause and think about this question really deeply. I'm not going to have you talk about it in your group or anything. Just personally, what do you rely on? I think that rely word is a really heavy word. The rely word is really heavy. That could have been a good discussion question, just what does that word mean? Because rely doesn't mean... I want that thing. Rely means I need that thing. Rely means when things get bad, this is what I go to. If it's pouring down rain, I rely on my umbrella. Or I can just get soaked. But I need that umbrella if I want to stay dry. Okay? When it's pouring down rain in your life, what do you rely on? And I think if we're honest... We rely on a lot of things that aren't God. And we pay the price. And we pay the price. And, and you can look at yourself. Sometimes we can't see it in ourselves. So in, our, in, our, in our own lives, it feels like all that drinking I'm doing is working. Right? All that weed I'm smoking is working. All that sex outside of marriage I'm having is working. All that greed is working. All that success I've achieved is working. All those achievements I've accomplished are working. We think it's working. But when you look at your neighbor's life, when you look at your mom or dad's life, your stepmom, your stepdad's life, when you look at your brother or sister's life and you see it ain't working for them, <laughs> right? It ain't working for them. What they're relying on isn't working for them. Isn't it easier to see that in other people's lives? We say that with uh, you know, our kids and with the, the generation under us. 
they look at your generation and say, or whatever generation you're in, and say, it ain't working for you either. What do you rely on? What an invitation, right? What an invitation by God to enter us into the rest of this passage in verse 16. Verse 16, it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. When you are all dried out and nowhere to go, he says, rely on my love. It will always be here. God's love's a lot bigger than this water pitcher. If you get caught in the torrential downpour, that's how much God's love is, but it never ends. God's love is swimming in the Atlantic Ocean. That's how much water is God's love. This verse goes on. It says in verse 16, God is love. You've heard that before. This is where we see it in the Bible. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What does it mean and look like to rely on God's love? And here's what I mean by that. What is it that makes you complete? I think we are all born broken. We're all born incomplete. We are looking to romance to complete us. We're looking to money to complete us. We're looking to substances, numbing agents, to complete us. We're looking and looking and looking to be made complete. To be told you are valuable. To be told you matter. To be told I desire you. To be told that you're worth it. We look for these things, we look for these things, we look for these things. As believers in Jesus, we already have what we're looking for. We already have what we're looking for. When I want to numb out as my reliance, I can go to God's love instead. When, when, here's what I want you to, to understand, friends. When you're at church, this is what we're doing. We're jumping back into God's love for us so that we're full. This sponge is dry. It needs, it's looking. It's out in the, it needs something. It's anything that will satisfy my thirst. This sponge doesn't need anything. Its thirst is satisfied. It's already full. It's already satisfied. You can take this with you throughout your week. You can open up the scriptures yourself and reflect and remember every day on God's love for you as you go out into this world. What does it look like for you, for me, to rely on God's love? Now, as John always does, he doesn't stop here. He applies this to our everyday life. Let's read verses 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Let me read that again. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's mind-blowing. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, back to my intro. Being a kindergartner, having the preacher stand up and spit... (laughs) (laughs) about how we're all going to hell if we don't know Jesus. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us, which we talked about last week, the completion of God's love, John said, was us sharing his love with other people. It's made complete so that we will have confidence 
on the day of judgment. I mentioned this earlier, but don't you want to have confidence on the day of judgment? We are all going to die, friends. That preacher on the, the front pew wasn't wrong. <laughs> His delivery may have been off for a group of five-year-olds, but he wasn't wrong. Uh, and in general, it's not good to spit on people. That's not a good way to, it's not a good way to share the gospel. Uh, we're all going to have a day of judgment. And I think our world has completely forgotten that. Our world has completely forgotten that. What I don't understand is, I understand that eternity can feel a little bit abstract, right? That we're going to die, and we're going to have a day of judgment, and we're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. But if that is true, don't you think it is the most important truth that exists? It, we all have non-believing friends. I had a friend from high school who died recently. I'm 39, graduated in 2001, and I saw it on Facebook. I'm not really close to a lot of my high school friends. I don't live in the same city anymore. I live out of state. Uh, this was an acquaintance. Uh, you know, we were friendly. We had classes together. I don't know what she died of, uh, but another friend of hers made the post about her death. And it's astounding to read what non-believers write about death during death. I'm not judging them. I'm not shaming them. It's just sad. It's just sad. They have nothing they have nothing to believe in, to have their hope in. And, and, and I just want to say, we have Jesus. Like, why, why would you reject this gift? And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, okay? But I think it's really important for us, and for those maybe watching online or anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, it's really, really important to know that in Jesus, you can have confidence on the day of judgment confidence on the day of judgment there's a day of judgment coming which means all the sins we've ever done are going to be put before god it's like going before court except you know you're guilty and you know you're in big trouble you know you're in big trouble and the judge is going to say guilty boom here's your sentence what's the most scared you've ever been that would be it right there to stand before god on your own merit with no jesus covering you that's scarier than a black bear in the middle of the forest, in, 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 in Manistee National Forest. We can have confidence on the day of judgment. When you stand before God, he will not hold your sins against you. Every bad thing I've ever done, every bad thing you've ever done, every rebellion against God, big and small, he will not hold against you if your faith is in Jesus. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And here's one more thing before I move on from this. All other religions cannot make that claim. Even legalistic Christianity cannot make that claim. If you're in a Christianity that says uh, you need Jesus and this to measure up to God, good luck. Good luck ever measuring up on your own strength. Judaism, Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Buddhism, all of these are based on good works. You have to do enough good and maybe you'll make it. Good luck with confidence before God on that, right? Good luck acing that exam. There'd be fear. There'd be incredible fear. So when John said there's no fear in this kind of love, what he's saying is you can stand before God without fear, knowing that Jesus paid the price so you don't have to. Amen? That is what we celebrate. Amen. Jesus paid the price so that you don't have to so that I don't have to. And we can stand before him with confidence in his love. We can live in confidence in his love. We can rely on that love because it can never be taken away. 
It can never be taken away when a whole bunch of other stuff can. There is nothing guaranteed in this life except the ability to rely on God's love to us through Jesus Christ. So John connects it, like I said, though. He takes the eternal here and he applies it to our everyday life. He applies it to our everyday life. He says, this type of love that doesn't have fear in it, this type of love that's not based on punishment, I want you to love people that way. That when you go drip love, that's the love you're dripping. It's this type of love. Verse 17, in this world, we are like Jesus. <laughs> that's fun, but challenging, right? You want the world to see Jesus. Who wants the world to see Jesus? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. Who wants the world to see Jesus? Amen. Guess how the world's going to see Jesus? Through you, through us, through Mosaic Church, through all the churches. Woo! We're not, we we, we got to huddle up. We got to pray back to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Holy Spirit, we can't be Jesus because we're pretty messed up. We're broken. We need you, Holy Spirit, to shine through us so that the world would see Jesus with a love that drives out fear, a love that is not based on punishment. Let me ask you this question. It's a little sobering. Is the church today known for a love that's not based on fear? Is the church today known for a love that's not based on punishment? Or when you ask an average non-believer about the church, are they going to say, oh, that's a judgmental place. That's a place that brings punishment. That's a place that brings fear into people's lives if they're not Christians. Whew. Do people get scared when you talk about your faith? Think about that. When you talk about your faith, when you talk about even your values, look, our values are based in our faith, aren't they? Do people get scared around you? Do they get scared? Uh-oh. Uh-oh, there they go again. Uh-oh, look at them go on Facebook. Perfect love drives out fear. Here's a hard one. Parents, look at myself in the mirror. Are your kids afraid of you? Are your kids afraid of you? Do they fear you? That's heavy. Now look, this doesn't mean there's no accountability. Perfect love doesn't mean there's no accountability. Perfect love doesn't mean you never have to confront. Perfect love means you have to speak truth. But what this is saying is that God's mercy and grace are the driving force of his love, not the punishment, right? The, 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 the punishment is not the driving force. This is not a savior but from hell, come know Jesus. This is Jesus loves you so much. Yes, he saved you from hell. Yes, he took your sin upon him out of love for you. His grace is there for you. Mercy means he forgives you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. What does it look like for us as individual Christians and as a church to love with that type of love? There's one more section here. One more section to wrap things up. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. That's the, that's the sponge. He first loved us. So we love. I mean, this is, this is the analogy working over and over in 1 John. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. This is talking about your Christian family. When he says brother and sister, he's talking about other believers. Other believers. If you claim to love God, God, I love you, but I hate her. 
You're a liar. <laughs> John is not messing around. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. How can you do this? How is that even possible? By relying on what? God's love. God's love. God's love. I'm relying on God's love. I can't rely on my own love. I can't rely on my own strength. I cannot rely on that in my marriage. I cannot rely on that in my friendships. I cannot rely on that in my role as a pastor. I'm going to love you if you love me back. <laughs> no one's ever going to love each other then, right? No, I will love you because God loves me. I'm going to love you because my sponge is soaked with God's love. And if you meet me and I'm like this, and you go, man, that's, that's not very loving. It means I haven't been in God's love in a while. <laughs> I'm, this is how I love. That's how marriage works. You don't love your spouse because they love you back. You love your spouse because Jesus loves you. And you're showing Jesus' love to them. Want to love God, John says? Love your brother and sister. Yeah, but what about? They hurt me. They harmed me. They wounded me. Love your brother and sister. You think we've ever hurt or harmed Jesus? Yes! <laughs> yes, we've hurt and harmed Jesus. Love your brother and sister. Guys, I'm preaching to myself. This is hard work. You can't do it on your own. Good luck. Someone come squeeze water out of this. Any takers? I'll give you 100 bucks. Squeeze water out of this sponge. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. The only way you do it is if you stick it in here first. <laughs> okay? That is the only way there's going to be water coming out of this sponge. You can't love like this on your own. But when we pray for miracles, this is what we're praying for. That God does his healing power through his love in our lives and in the lives of those that we're trying to love. And we pray, Spirit, that they might see Jesus in me. Again, this includes, like we talked about last week, we're an anti-racist church, and we're trying to be. <laughs> we're trying to be. This includes justice. This includes the oppressed. The church, specifically the white church, has not done this well in the history of the church. We have not loved our brothers and sisters well in the history of the church. We've said, oh, here's Jesus. Good luck with those chains that I put on you for my own benefit, but here's Jesus. That is not love. That's not love. It's very clear. Loving our brothers and sisters the way we love God. And John is way more in your face about it than I'm being. He's like, if you don't do that, you don't love God, period. I mean, that's, that's strong. That's some strong coffee. He's very clear. He's very clear. He hammers this throughout the whole book. We have to love our brother and our sister the way that the Father loves us.